Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. The word why. The point he makes in his talk is that most companies or organisations know clearly what they do. The size of the circles, however, coincide with the fuzziness of the vision. And so the how circle inside the what circle is often much less clear. How are we going to do what we do? But by the time you get to the middle circle, the why part is often the most pixelated part of the plan. Why is the part that people deal with last and articulate and define least clearly. In his TED talk, he uses the example of Apple computers. Now, I'm talking to an intelligent room of people here today, and we all know that Apple make the best computers. There's no debate about that. And so we all know we're on the same page there. But Simon Sinek makes a comment in his talk that even though Apple have dominated the market, their computers aren't that much better than everyone else's. Clearly, you got that part wrong. But what he does point out is that the way that they communicate about their computers is entirely different than everyone else. Most computer companies start with the what. They tell you that they build beautiful computers. They're easy to use. They do this and they do this. And then they say, do you want to buy one? And he makes the point that that's quite uninspiring. Apple present entirely differently. They start by saying, we believe. We believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. We believe in changing your world. And so everything we do is innovative, beautifully designed, operator-friendly, and easy to use, and we happen to make computers. Do you want to buy one? People have been inspired by Apple's message. Now, what's the difference? Why have Apple dominated the market and been so successful? Well, the difference is that they started with the why. They know why They do what they do and how they're going to do it. So they reverse the order in their vision and people are inspired. Now his talk gets really interesting when he talks about the human brain and he compares the golden circles to our brains. If we were to cut open our skull today and flick our skull back and look at my brain from the top down, you'd see something quite extraordinary. But you see three circles, a little bit like the three golden circles. The outside circle would be known as the neocortex. But the two inside circles of the brain are known as the limbic part of the brain. Now, the neocortex part of the brain functions at the what level. It's responsible for all of our rational and analytical thought, and it's where our language comes from. But the limbic part of the brain, the two inner circles in the middle, are responsible for our feelings, things like trust and loyalty and passion. Those inner circles are also responsible for all of our decision-making, and yet they have no capacity for language. It's that part of the brain that determines the why part of our lives. That's why you hear people say things like, you know, it made sense, but it just didn't feel right. It made sense, but it just didn't feel right. What's going on is the neocortex part of their brain is telling them that it's logical and rational and it makes sense, but the limbic part of their brain, where the feeling and emotion and passion come from, actually overrides the logic. People don't buy into what you do, they buy into why you do it. 
what you do and how you do it, prove what you believe and therefore why you give your life to it. That is for us, uh, that is why for us as a church it's incredibly important that what we do and how we do it must always be driven by why we do it. The whole point of Simon Sinek's talk is to start with the why. That's the title of his TED Talk if you want to look it up this week. And he says that great leaders inspire action when they start with the why. Now, what's this got to do with 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and the start of Vision Month at Follow Baptist Church? Well, in Vision Month, we're going to focus on some of the what we do. We're going to talk about praying and we're going to talk about fellowship and serving and generosity. But in order to inspire each other to live our lives for Christ and to live for his cause, we need to always start with the why. Why do we do those things? I think we can talk about the what we do and how we do it until the cows come home. But if we don't believe in the why, people will be uninspired and we won't serve God effectively or with the right motivations. Often when it comes to church, we talk about the what we do, don't we? People ask about church and we tell them about the what we do. We tell them about our 10.30 a.m. service and we tell them that we have kids programs and music and activities. And and as good as those things are, people can find those things anywhere. They can find kids' activities, they can find entertainment, they can find music anywhere, and so it won't inspire people. That's not what we actually have to offer the world. There's services we provide, yes, and they're helpful, but it's not the main primary thing that we have to offer the world around us. What we have to offer is simply the most amazing news you will ever hear in your life, that in Christ, your life can change. That's powerful news. That you can be forgiven of your sins as we've celebrated this morning. You can be made new. You can live your life with purpose, full of joy and hope for the present and the future, knowing there's a God out there who's created you and loves you. And we we believe that through Christ, this world can be a better place. Let me tell you, church, that's inspiring. That's the truth of the gospel. And to a world that is struggling with the why, Why do I exist? Why am I here? That is what we can offer the world around us, the truth of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 was written by one of the greatest leaders the world has ever seen. The Apostle Paul was accused of turning the world upside down. He traveled the world on a shoestring budget, preaching the gospel, developing leaders, planting churches. You and I today stand on the shoulders of incredible leaders like the Apostle Paul who have laid a great foundation for you and me. They've wrung their lives out for the glory of God through persecution and suffering, through poverty and strife. In chapter 4, he says these words. He says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. How could a man like Paul, going through all the things he went through, how could he possibly get to the end of his life and say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race? Well, I believe it's because he didn't live from the what or how. He didn't focus on things like, I'm the Apostle Paul and I have a great ministry and we survive by making tents on the side. He may have mentioned those things in his ministry, but he was not fueled by those things. Paul was always motivated by the why. And we find out in chapter 5, verse 14, what the why is of living for Jesus. He says this, for Christ's love compels us. There's the limbic part of the brain that inspires passion. 
Because we are convinced there's a neocortex part of the brain, the rational, logical part of the brain that one died for all and therefore all died. The love of Christ compelled Paul. And to truly live for Jesus, it must compel our lives as well. And when it does, it inspires a faith which is both logical and emotional. As an eldership, through prayer and discussion, we've decided on a word to focus on in 2018. You've probably guessed it by now. The word is compelled. That is what the video this morning communicated, that everything we do is compelled, not out of obligation. We don't simply do it because we're on a roster or we feel like we have to. We don't do it to earn a relationship with God. Only Jesus could do that for us. We don't follow God reluctantly or begrudgingly. Instead, we do it joyfully, passionately, and wholeheartedly because we are people who are compelled by something. We know why we do what we do. Let me give you an example this morning. This week on the phone, I spoke to Steve Jean. Steve Jean runs our welcome team, and he's doing a wonderful job of it. He's got some great new ideas for this year, and we want to be an incredibly welcoming church. But I want to use them as an example. I could use any ministry at all, but let's choose the welcome ministry this morning. If you are on that team and you are focused on the what you do and the how you do it, it would look a little bit like this. You would turn up every week and you'd say, I'm on the roster for welcome today. I turn up on time. I fulfill my role on the weeks I'm rostered on and I go home and I'll do it again next time I'm rostered on. But over time, if you focus on the what and the how, I can guarantee you it's going to become a chore and an obligation rather than a privilege and a delight. And so we are people that need to start with the why. Why would I join the welcome team? Why would I get up early and arrive here to greet people as they come to church? We need to start with the why. Well, the why is that we want to be the most welcoming church on the planet. Because we have encountered the love of Jesus. And we want every single person who walks in those back doors to encounter the love of Christ through us. There's the why of what we do, what we do. And so we arrive for our duty on the welcome team or the hospitality team or any other team, the setup team, the pack-up team. And we we arrive and we're ready to go. And we're actually thinking about what we're doing because we understand what the why is. And so if you're on the welcome team and you're coming from starting with the why, you'll see that person who's discouraged. You'll spot that new person. You'll get that newsletter in every hand and you'll do it with a smile and not just on the weeks you're rostered on, but every week as part of who you are because you're not on duty. You're compelled by the love of Christ. I guarantee if you focus on the why rather than the what and how, you'll see things you've never seen before. We're compelled by the love of Christ. And so what is it about the love of Christ? Well, Paul in this passage expands on it. He said that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. To grasp the love of Christ, we should look no further than the cross. On the cross, he demonstrates how deep and how long and how wide and how high his love is towards us. And let me tell you, church, you probably know this already, but it's life-changing. Jesus himself said, no greater love than this, than to lay your life down for your friends. Christ has demonstrated his love towards us in the most extraordinary act of love the world has ever seen. One man, Jesus, the sinless, perfect Son of God, died for all. One man took all of sin all the sin of humanity upon himself and he paid the price for it. He paid the death penalty we deserved 
on the cross. And when we personally accept what he did for us, it's like we died with him because our penalty is taken away and we're declared innocent before God. Let me tell you, church, that's amazing grace. That is undeserved love. And as we ponder this extraordinary love like we did around the communion table this morning, I pray that we would be so gripped by the love that he has poured out for us that it would fill our lives to the point of overflow and the love that he's poured into our lives would flow into the lives of those around us. See, the word compelled is not a stationary word. It's a word of momentum. It's not a passive word like this. It's not a word like this. It's a word like this. I can't help. I can't help but want to grow. I'm so compelled by the love of Christ. I can't help but want to serve. I can't help but want to live my life for God because Christ's love has moved me. It has changed me and it compels me to action. That's what the video was communicating this morning. That when we're compelled by love, his love, it'll shape everything we do. It'll shape our worship. It'll shape the way that we raise our kids. It'll shape the way that we serve. It'll shape the way we reach out to our community, sharing the gospel with friends, like in verse 11, where it says today in today's passage that since we fear God, we try to persuade others. We're compelled by the love of Jesus. This year, we want to capture that idea, that everything we do, we're compelled by Christ's love, because it's easy to forget our first love. It's easy to slip into going through the motions It's easy to focus on the what and how, but forget the why. But if we're going to serve long-term, we need to start with the why. If you're serious about following Jesus to the very end of your life, Christ's love compelling you will be the only thing that sustains you. Let me say that again. If you're going to be serious about following Jesus to the very end days of your life, Christ's love compelling you will be the only thing that sustains you. There's three things I think are important to understand about Christ's love and how it compels us. And the first one is this, that the love of Christ changes the way we think. Look at verse 13. Paul says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. Now, I think discipleship is a key concept in Scripture. And it's an important one. And many of us can think of people who've played an important role in our lives uh, in, in terms of our spiritual formation. People that have spoken the word of God into our lives. And if we surround ourselves with godly and wise people who don't just tell us what we want to hear, but instead point us to God's word and the person of Jesus, we will be compelled by his love. And so discipleship is critical in our lives. But if we honestly reflect on who's discipling us the most, I think we'll often find that it's the world around us. Every moment of every day we're being discipled by the opinions on Facebook and Twitter and the images on Instagram. We're being told how we should think and act by the media. We're being preached to by the billboards and the advertisements and the TV series on Netflix that are subtly but definitely shaping our worldview. We are completely immersed in our culture on a moment-to-moment basis. You know, there are people out there that are actually paid as a job to do advertising. And their goal is to get in your mind. And they're actually pretty good at what they do. I've noticed this in the cricket season. I've been watching a little bit of cricket lately. It's been good to watch Australia winning some. And it's been good to sit down on the couch and just have a rest and watch some cricket. But I've noticed in the cricket season that they do a lot of advertising for KFC. Have you noticed that? And the catch cry 
of their campaign at the moment is shut up and take my money. And so the main character in the ad will see a billboard on the back of a bus or they'll see a billboard on a wall and it'll be 24 nuggets for $10 or wicked wings with potato and gravy or a zinger burger. And I've got to say, when I'm sitting on the couch watching those ads, I kind of change for a moment into a zombie. And I sort of get up and I think, KFC. I need KFC. And I make my way to the car and I get in the car and I turn on the engine and I'm, need KFC, need KFC. And I drive into the drive-thru and they say, can I take your order, sir? And I say, shut up and take my money. And they say, that'll be 24 nuggets. And I say, yeah, throw in the Zinger Burger and the Wicked Wings as well. But there's been many times where they have taken my money in the cricket season. And I think we'd be naive to think that our minds are not being profoundly impacted by the world around us in even more significant ways than KFC. We are constantly being brainwashed into thinking a certain way, that to be a success, you must own a house and have a degree and be popular and be married and make money and have kids and travel overseas and be famous, etc., etc., etc. The world is trying to shape us into its mould so that we all think the same things and are convicted in the same ways. And as Christians, this is kind of danger time, isn't it? Danger, 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 danger. Because as Christians, we too can allow these things to keep bombarding our mind. And if we're not careful, the world's attitudes become our deep convictions and we'll find ourselves being compelled, not by God's word or by the love of Christ, but by the world around us to live a certain way for certain things. Romans chapter 12 warns us about this very thing. It says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So the world around us is getting into our minds all the time, but it's not the only thing that gets into our minds. The devil tends to find his way in there as well, doesn't he? He does for me anyway. He gets in there through influential but ungodly people in our lives. He gets in there through our own doubts and fears and insecurities. He tells lies that we start to believe if we listen to them long, long enough. And the, the end result is that we become downcast and downtrodden, as Rowan spoke about last week from Psalm 42. Now, I mentioned in the Psalm series that I love the transparency of Psalms, and it's important to be transparent with one another. And so let me be transparent with you today. I've got to say right now in my life, in the last month or so, I have been as flat as a tack. Spiritually dry, emotionally drained. This week, Lenny had an operation. We have other family concerns weighing us down. I feel discouraged, downcast. And there hasn't been a day in the last month where I haven't felt like giving up. Now, don't panic. I'm not going to give up. Unless you want me to, then rejoice. (laughs) But I'm not going to give up for two reasons. The first reason is this, that I know I'm called to this. I know I'm in the right place at the right time, and it's God who's placed me here. And sometimes it's a calling that keeps you going. But there's another reason that I'm not going to give up. And the other reason is this, that I'm compelled by the love of Christ. Let me give an example. Last week I walked into church feeling rather discouraged. And I walked in and I got up to say something up the front. And I looked out and I saw our good friend Bill from the food van. Bill's been coming down to our food van ministry pretty much every week since we started. And I remember meeting Bill at first and for the first few months... Bill was downtrodden by what was happening in life. He kept talking about things over and over again, regrets and things he'd missed out on. And he was a sad, downcast kind of a guy. But when you look at Bill now, in the last 15 months or so, as he's found a community, his life has turned upside down. 
He's the most joyful guy down there. He stays and helps pack up. He's always telling you about what's happening in his life. He's got a full-time job, and things are going wonderfully well. And last week after the service, I was talking to him and say, I said, well done, Bill, for coming to church. And he said this. He said, last night I was reading the Bible I got, and I just knew God was telling me to come to church. And he said to someone else after the service, I know it's true that Jesus saves because he's given me hope in my life. And let me tell you, it's in those moments when you're once again captivated by the love of Christ, not just in your own life, but the love of Christ in the lives of those you're reaching out to, that you're renewed in your faith and the love of Christ compels you once again to live your life for him. I pray that the love of Christ will compel you. And so there's been all sorts of stuff going on in my mind that the devil would love to use, but I've been praying that Christ's love would renew my mind. And I want you to write this down today if you're a note taker. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to get out of your mind. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you need to get out of your mind. It's what Paul says in verse 13. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. You know that accusation of being out of your mind for following Christ is not an uncommon accusation for us today. On social media, I've seen Christians referred to as, and I quote, delusional, stupid, naive idiots who believe in a magical sky fairy they can't see. It's one of the nicer posts. I can't read the other ones out in church. (laughs) Here's a compliment for you today. If you've been on the end of one of those remarks for living for Jesus, it's exactly the same thing they said to the Apostle Paul. It's regarded as one of the greatest men, Christian men, who's ever lived. People said he was out of his mind and it wasn't a bad thing. We need to understand where Paul would come from. He'd been discipled by the world around him all of his life. At the height of his worldly success, Paul was the poster boy for the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the influential religious people and teachers in Jesus' day. They professed to know God's word extensively, and they lived outwardly religious lives that they wanted everybody to see. Paul was one of the most well-known and respected Pharisees in his day. He had done all the things that you needed to do to be considered a legitimate hardcore Pharisee. He was circumcised on the eighth day according to their customs. He was from the right people. He was from the correct tribe. He had trained at the feet of Gamaliel, known and widely respected as a great teacher. He was more zealous and passionate than the other Pharisees. He led the cause of persecuting Christians. And if you were an aspiring Pharisee, you would look up to Paul and you would say, that's who I want to be like. He's arrived. He's made it. He's reached the pinnacle. He is the man. And at the height of his power and success one day, on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute and kill Christians, the risen Christ appeared to Paul and in an instant changed his life. Paul was struck blind by the light, but in a great irony, while he was physically blind, his spiritual eyes were opened for the first time and he could see Jesus for who he was. One encounter with Christ compelled the rest of his life. You see, he'd grown up immersed in the life of a Pharisee. That was all he thought about. That was his version of success. He progressed to the pinnacle of that pursuit. But after meeting Christ, his thinking and his mindset changed forever. It would never, ever be the same again. And in the midst of all the accolades... All the success, all the respect, all the adoration with the background of his training and achievements, everything he'd worked towards, he turned his back on it. And he said, it's rubbish. I consider it rubbish because of the surpassing worth. 
He was hit by the impact of something that was greater than the things he'd achieved. And he says, The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I wonder this morning how many of us could say the same thing, that we're driven, compelled by the love of Christ more than anything else that this life has to offer. You can imagine his old crew looking at him and thinking, this guy has completely lost his mind. Why would you give up all of that, everything that Paul had, to follow this nobody called Jesus? Well, Paul addresses that in verse 16. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. You see, Paul, in his pride, had been proud of his worldly achievements and at the same time he looked down at others and he looked down even at Christ thinking that guy is of no significance. I am more trained. I have achieved more. I am better than him. I don't need Jesus in my life. And it sounds a lot like the world around us today. But we of all people should be different. For Paul, his thinking had completely changed and living his life for Jesus was the only thing that now made sense because Christ's love compelled him and his priorities were turned upside down. The love of Christ changes the way we think. The love of Christ changes the way we live. We're going to spend all vision month in 2 Corinthians and the context of 2 Corinthians is laid out for us in the first four chapters. Paul is writing to a church that is in disarray. They've abandoned Paul's teaching. They are following false teachers. There is division, idolatry, and selfishness. They're even fighting over the communion meal. Now, you had the bread this morning. Is it worth fighting over? They fought over it. The communion meal. At a time where you're meant to be laying your heart before God and reflecting on what he's done for us, they were fighting over the bread and the wine. On top of that, they were brutally attacking the reputation of Paul and his co-workers. And Paul, at this stage, is pretty beaten up. He's pretty bruised by this church that he himself had planted. The church are now opposing him and he would have every justification to be pretty peeved at them. In his old life, compelled by selfishness and rage, Paul violently attacked those who opposed him. But look at his life now. After he meets Christ in his new life, he's being opposed by these people he's done so much for, but instead of attacking them in rage, he's compelled by the love of Christ to continue to speak into their life, continue to help them, continue to serve them, continue to see them transformed by Jesus' love. You see, the love of Christ radically shapes our priorities so that the things that we used to see of utmost importance are no longer quite so important. It changes the way that we live. This week I had a phone call from a pastor I haven't met before. He introduced himself to me and then asked if I would consider conducting a funeral for a young family and officer. It was a 29-year-old man who was killed in a workplace accident this week, leaving behind a 20-weeks pregnant wife with their first child. I wish I could say that my instant thought was yes, How can I serve this family? How can I do whatever it takes to make their life better in this season? But I've got to confess it wasn't. I can be selfish at times like the rest of us. I've already explained that I feel like this week I've been going through an emotionally difficult week. And this week we had Lenny's operation. I had heaps of stuff I had to get done. And I was rehearsing all the excuses in my head of why I could say no to doing this funeral. But before I could say no, before I could say I'm not available, I'm too busy, I felt the instant conviction of the Holy Spirit who said to me, Luke, you planted a church in officer for people like this. 
What a privilege to speak into people's lives in one of the difficult seasons, one of the most difficult seasons that you'd ever face. And so I changed my plans. I went and spent the afternoon with his heartbroken wife and her family. And this Wednesday, I'll be conducting the funeral where they are expecting 600 people. I get to share from God's word to a group of people who are largely not yet Christians. What an awesome opportunity. You see, if I started with the what and how, I would have said no for sure. But when we start with the why, when we allow the love of Christ to compel us, it changes the way we live. The only way Paul could leave his so-called successful life behind was because he'd found something of surpassing worth. He was being compelled by the love of Christ. The most powerful truth from the passage today is not that the love of Christ changes the way we think and changes the way we live, but the most powerful truth is the love of Christ changes who we are. Verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. This is the most stunning truth. That prior to accepting Jesus Christ, everything we've ever done wrong, every sin we've ever committed, we're held accountable for. In God's eyes, we are guilty, punishable by death. We have no hope for eternal life. No hope whatsoever. But the moment we accept Christ, that all changes. Everything that was old leading up until that moment is forgiven and forgotten. We aren't just refurbished. We're not just tweaked so we're a better version of our old self. It says we are a new creation. The old's gone, the new has come. You are a new person in Christ. That's why it talks about being born again, a second birth. Nothing that's happened in your life, it doesn't matter where you've been from or what you've done, it's all forgiven in Christ. You are a new person. You have a clean slate, absolutely pure and innocent in God's eyes. And even though we still struggle with sin and temptation after that, we're now set free from the power of sin and death over our lives because the punishment was paid in full at the cross for you and for me and for every person who calls on the name of Jesus. That is wonderful news. Let me tell you, if that does not compel you, you're either not saved or you need to get back to your first love. That is the most compelling, life-changing truth that you can ever live by, that we are a new person in Christ. At the start of a new, fresh year, as a new Christian in Christ, as a new creation in Christ, what compels your life this morning? Can I ask you that question? What is it that compels your life this year? In all that we do this year, may we say with confidence and great joy, in every circumstance, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but live for him who died for them and was raised again. May Christ's love change the way we think. May it change the way we live. May it change the people that we are. Start with the why and be compelled in 2018. Let's pray. Lord God, we can't help but be compelled by what you've done for us. We want to say this morning, afresh, at the start of a new year, even though we're already in February, Lord, we want to say thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord God, that where we were without hope, that we were lost and dead in our sins, you died in our place and you rose from death, conquering death, 
giving us the hope of new life now and forever. Lord, that's the most incredible, stunning truth that we can be a new creation in you. Lord, I pray this year in all that we do that we would not be a church that serves out of obligation, begrudgingly, from a place of exhaustion, but I pray that we'd be a church that is compelled afresh every day, that the first thing that goes through our mind in the morning is thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Today, may your love compel us to live for you in a way that would reach people and turn this world upside down for the glory of God, in Jesus' name, amen.